When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. And we're back for another episode of Keep It. I'm your host, Ira Madison III, and once again, I am joined by Kara Brown hey. and Louis Vertel. Uh Oscar, fun fact, I was the stunt double for Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. <laughs> <laughs> All the crying in the mirror, that was me. <laughs> Good news, Keep It fans. Kara, Lewis, and myself will all be in Austin this weekend Whee! for South by Southwest. It's the my favorite Texas, <laughs> if I had to rank them. <laughs> we are doing two shows that weekend. First, we will be appearing on Love or Leave It on March 9th at the Moody Theater. The show is at 10.30 p.m., and tickets are still available. With that surly little ginger, John Lovett. Is he a ginger? I think I would call him a ginger. Chestnut? I'd call John a lot of things, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I don't know if he's a ginger. Mm-hmm. And then Keep It will have its first live show on Saturday, March 10th at 3.30 at the Fairmont Wisteria Room, part of Tune In at South by Southwest. The show will also be streaming live. Fairmont Wisteria was my favorite character on Knott's Landing, and I'm so excited she'll be there. He you, look, you should see how excited doing? he looks, actually, <laughs> He looks so excited. Oh, yeah. uh, our first live show will be streaming on the internet if you cannot make it to South by Southwest, but if you can make it, we'll be live from the podcast stage. If you have a ticket to South by Southwest, you have a ticket to the show. So stop by and see us, and I promise John will not be there. Phew. John won't be there, but Lewis will be in a in a, a nice tight shirt. For That's you. right. Yeah. I'll be imposing and severe. <laughs> <laughs> um, some house cleaning about last week. Uh, I know we were very worried that Stacey Dash might win an election, and that we would have to go to the forty fourth district and stop her. Uh, but apparently, that district is overwhelmingly black and Latino. And I don't think she's going to win. A few. She can move back on to the Oscar race. Also, apparently you can, as a congressional candidate, you do not have to live in your district. You just have to live in the state. Which is so stupid. That's crazy. You don't even have to live in the district with the people that you're representing. No, which I should have remembered because that was the whole drama with John Ossoff when he was running. That woman kept saying, you don't even live here. But yes, she's talking about the fact that she does live in her district, and though they don't want her to, yeah, you know, so. yeah, live in another district, so please. She'll, <laughs> so she'll probably lose and get evicted. Uh, anyway, the Oscars were this week, and Stacey did not show up at them this year. She was nominated for three, though, right? Yeah, she was nominated <laughs> okay. for, um, for Shape of Water. Yes, right, and worst animated short, being yeah. herself, Stacey Dash. <laughs> We watched the Oscars together. We did. Yep. Mm-hmm. We there, had a grand old time. There were some sandwiches. A lot of yelling from me. Lewis was plugged into his laptop. I fo- I looked like somebody in Apollo 13, like getting people <laughs> back down to earth, but I was actually just <laughs> tweeting about Also, can I say watching Jimmy it Kimmel. with Lewis was great because he was like a personal Siri where it was like, Lewis, 
when was the last time so and so was nominated? And then all, like two seconds later, he had the answer. It was I like, put we my didn't finger Google up. Google anything. You asked me how old is Rita Moreno, and I said I believe eighty six, and I was right. And she was eighty six years old. <laughs> Coming up later in the episode, I am actually going to pit you against Lewis, Kara, with help. Yes, uh, I'm going to let you use Google, yes. and we will see. <laughs> Who's better? And I'll use my trivia. brain, the other Google. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm Sam- not that good. We'll see how it goes. You sound like a Samsung commercial. <laughs> anyway, the show was fine. Kara kept complaining that it was seven hours long. It was so long. <laughs> it's it was always like, long. <laughs> was it always like almost four hours long? Yeah, girl. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Really? I think in my mind, it was like three and maybe, you know, the DVR goes over a little bit in case it spills over like three hours and seven minutes. Like we are in hour three and they haven't handed out best screenplay, best actor, best actress, movie, director. I was like, we got five more categories. And I wanted it to go on and on. I'm like, oh, hold it out. I oh want there to be gosh. another montage. Can we do a montage of the just- The montages. Can I, I think that was what was driving me crazy. The montages. It's like you would cut those out. We're in and out in three hours. Also, the camera angles. I don't know who would listen. Never directed an award show. I'm sure it's not easy. However, up the nose. Do you think that's the most flattering angle? The angles were actually pretty- wild this year the set is always huge but i think with you know the crystals that they wanted to put on display on stage just highlighted how cavernous the stage was right everyone was wandering around for what seemed like 20 minutes to get to and from Uh, they were all lost in a giant De Beers commercial Viola Davis couldn't even walk in her outfit i know uh because it was too tight and they made her like they made her. They made her perp walk all the way to the stage. And by the way, do you know what music they played while she did that? The Austin Powers theme. <laughs> Guys, what? I, I don't believe she played Minnie Me in that. That and yeah, the montages were. I like Oscar history, and I get that it was the 90th Oscars, so they really wanted to celebrate, you know, the history of the Oscars and the magic and have people, you know, enjoy looking at a clip and being like, oh, I've seen that movie, I've seen that movie, et cetera. But like, at a certain point, it felt like... The montages and the clips, you know, when they're announcing the nominees and they would show a little clip of the performance, those were like 30 seconds long. It took like five minutes just to get through all of the Best Picture nominees. And it didn't like enhance the ceremony for me. Like if you haven't seen The Shape of Water, that 30 second clip, is not gonna do it for you. Like, just cut to Guillermo and let's go. I think this is the one show that I could watch for five hours a year. I mean, just like, look, if you're invested in the drama of it, it's just, all I'll say is this. There are entire golf channels. There are entire I don't watch that shit either. I don't watch that either. One day a year, I get to watch Leslie Manville sneer in an audience for a four-hour ceremony, and I'm just gonna cherish that moment and perhaps bring poppers for that moment. I like a sport with a time limit. Like we're you're in an, like there's a clock there's a finite amount of time we're doing this let's we got things to I don't do. know I kind of agree with Lewis I really enjoy Oscar season and I wish that it were sort of like the Olympics you know you just had like two weeks of these mm-hmm. ceremonies and people playing games you have um, the wacky racist star Francis McDormand as Penelope Pitstop and. Uh, <laughs> Dastardly as Gary Oldman. 
I don't know. I would watch. I would. Full I would add amount. to this joke, except I only know Penelope Pitstop from that show, so I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like I make a Penelope Pitstop joke every week here because that's the only one I know. No, I I get it. They're long, but I really do sort of love it and appreciate. It. I mean, I feel like we watch it all day too. There's right. the red carpet. There's everything going on. And we're in LA. It. We're yeah. in LA, so it really is most of your day because it's like three o'clock when all of this gets started. Yeah, but. Let's jump into the actual show, starting with that red carpet. Oh, man. I was watching the E! pre-show, and it, I didn't do the math. I was like, why does it feel like no one is talking to E! And it, where is Juliana? I thought that she was sitting in, like, Taos, New Mexico, like, doing commentary. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, Seacrest works for E! Nobody's talking to him. Now I get it. Right. So Ryan Seacrest had sexual assault allegations against him from his former assistant. She said that he used to hug her creepily without her consent, often when he was wearing his underwear. The allegations were apparently independently investigated by NBC and, you know, E, but she denies that, you know, the investigation was like real Mm -hmm. you know and so he still went ahead with being on the red carpet which is very weird very surprising i think yeah because i feel like everyone else who's had a allegation against them has sort of at least taken a step back and been like i'm not going to make this situation about me right now you know i never thought that in the situation with the oscars like casey affleck would have more class than Ryan but, Seacrest to not show up. But see, I wonder if this is the beginning of some sort of backlash because you already have dum-dums coming out and being like, is this a witch hunt? And are we just, are we are we moving too quickly? Are we going, you know, you're just firing people right away without investigations and all of that. Never mind that they're private companies. They can do whatever they want. They can fire people. Um, and so I wonder if it was him being like, you know, I didn't get fired and like, fuck you and I'm still going to show up and I'm still going to do this. Like, I wasn't surprised that he still did it. Yeah. I was like, of course he did because also it's like he has an ego and he doesn't think he did anything wrong. Like, most of these dudes don't think that they did anything wrong even if, you know, you weren't charged criminally. It's like you did something creepy but they don't really see a problem with that behavior. And so he doesn't think that he did anything wrong. So, of course he showed up. I mean, he was already doing shows like, the previous week with Kelly Ripa just being like, she came out during the week and just gave this nice supportive speech about how he's her friend and he's always been kind of supportive (laughs) to her. I'm like, yeah, I mean, Ryan Seacrest isn't going to be creepy to you, girl. It's your show. (laughs) Also, furthermore, you think he would just step back because it would obviously make half the people on the red carpet uncomfortable to talk to him even just and no those one talked to him barely yeah. anybody talked to him alice and janey hugged him which i mean that's why Lori metcalf should have won um alice and janey is seven foot one i assume she couldn't <laughs> even see him and just and just hugged <laughs> hugged randomly uh none of the actresses nominated for best actress stopped by to talk to him tarashi p henson talked to him and i actually want to turn this over to Kara because everyone said that Taraji shaded him on the red carpet and you being you know the um, judge judge of shade court um, was it shade the universe has a, a way of taking care of the good people you know what I mean I agree and then if the next person that 
she spoke with, she was asked, how are you? And Taraji said, good, now that I'm in your company. Ooh, that's super shady. The shadiest part of her Ryan Seacrest interaction was she sort of gently grabbed his chin, which is super condescending. And it looked like she sort of looked like a sexy witch. Like, I just... Yeah, poison apple. Yes, exactly. Like, I just hexed you and you don't (laughs) even know it. And so that I found very shady. So, you know, I saw some headlines that said subtle shade, which is redundant, as I had told you over and over again in shade court. But... I think it was kind of shady. I mean, she gave the full head tilt and the full like, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) clown from it eyes. Yeah. She knew what was up. Down here, cat gets more pay than you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Cat Sadler jokes. Always bring that back. Mm -hmm. Because nobody wanted to talk to Ryan Seacrest, they kept cutting back to, you know, the talking bobbleheads that they had on E!, doing whatever no it was like juliana being like darkest hour i mean you've got to admit makeup <laughs> they're just like <laughs> hyperventilating so the oscars were filmed at the dolby theater where they usually are and across the street at the roosevelt hotel is where these e-correspondents were with crowd of people behind them <laughs> and it was made to look like they were hanging out in some just garden party watching the oscars and you kept having people come over and make cocktails and do whatever. I don't know. And never an interview with like Frances McDormand. Right. These people are not supposed to be talking that much during the (laughs) pre-show is the problem. Forever. And this year they were like, so Juliana, you're leading it. Juliana's got a riff for like three hours. Like, dear God. She doesn't have a tight five either. So she, (laughs) she did have to make some stuff up. I was actually on E, by the way. I was a part oh, of I, a... I did not ask. Go uh, ahead. All right. Well, you know, uh, someone did. <laughs> all right. Lewis. Can you give us their name and phone number and we can verify that they actually asked? We didn't ask you to be here during Black History Month. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Traipsing in. <laughs> you carpet bagger. By the clawing to you people, yes. Anyway, the carpet. Yes. The carpet was fine it after was, that. Yeah. Um, and then the show started. And um, Jimmy Kimmel gave his monologue. We can't ruin this one. This is a special year. This is a big one. These are the 90th Academy Awards. This is history happening right here. Our friend Oscar. Oscar is 90 years old tonight, which means he's probably at home right now watching Fox News. He's probably as best as somebody is going to be at this job, I think. He's the right combination of sarcasm and sincerity. And I usually think hosts are lacking one or the other. Like, they don't go funny enough or dark enough or they don't go appreciative enough. And he has sort of a knowledge of movie history, I think. So it was actually, for me, mostly a pleasure to watch him host it. I liked him. I've always liked, like, he's he's won me over, you know, since The Man Show, which I completely forget that that's why we even have him in the first place. Which yes. Is, like talk about a, a and rise. win Ben Stein's money, co-hosted by Ben Stein, oh, wow. among the world's worst people. Go ahead. Um, he co-hosted Ben Stein's money. Yeah, honey, won an Emmy for it. I forget most of Jimmy Kimmel's past. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I know that there was the Man Show, and he was at some point attached to Adam Carolla, and then he decided to let Adam Carolla be the villain that he is, mm-hmm. and just sort of skate away scot free. He's sort of a brand new. Jimmy Kimmel. Right. You forget, and especially this past year. He looks year, great now, too. Well, I'm just like, and he's a been, whole makeover. He's been one of the more, 
outspoken late night host where he's like talking about healthcare and talking like, you know, and not just ripping on Trump to be funny, but actually like talking about issues in a real way and trying to like inform mm-hmm. people. And I think he tried to do that with his with his monologue when he was I didn't like where he's like, we're Hollywood. We're leading the charge against sexual assault. It's like, OK, relax. Yeah. <laughs> you're a part of the charge. Yeah, you're, in the, like, you're, you're in you're in the mid to back. <laughs> settle. But other than that, I liked him. Uh, leading the charge against yeah, sexual like, assault. Okay. Like he's, I mean, maybe in doing it, perhaps, but in, in curing it. Like he's starring in the profiler. I get it. He is very good, and I have actually come around on Jimmy Kimmel mm-hmm. since, you know, he cried over a lion on TV, <laughs> I think, during the week of Ferguson. But um, that was actually a very good monologue that just sort of it built on what Seth Meyers had done at the Golden Globes mm-hmm. and this one just really went there. Mm-hmm. It didn't even feel sort of like he was trying to do jokes like hit punchlines. Mm-hmm. He was literally just going beat by beat like mm-hmm. this is the shit we're talking about and we're going to talk about it and I don't care who's uncomfortable. Right. Right. Although I do wish he had handed the mic over to Tiffany and Maya after they had showed up. We are, we are so happy to be here, but a little nervous too, because a few years ago, people were saying that Oscars were so white. And since then, some real progress has been made. Mm-hmm. But we, when we came yeah. out together, we know some of you were thinking, are the Oscars too black now? <laughs> but we just want to say, don't worry. There are so many more white people to come to. Mm-hmm. So many. We just came from backstage, yes. and there are tons of them tons back there. Tons of them. Mm-hmm. And not just movie stars. Yep. There are white people walking around with headsets, yep. white people with clipboards. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm personally not a fan of white people with clipboards because I'm always wondering, what are they writing down about me? Oh, yeah. Them presenting together was beautiful. It was amazing. I didn't expect to have the reaction I did to seeing them. I just screamed Thelma and Louise reboot to no one in particular. (laughs) They are a perfect duo. Also, just Maya Rudolph is one of those people where she's amazing, but sometimes it seems like it's been a year since I've seen her, and it was so refreshing to see her again. Well, it was also very refreshing to see her up there with Tiffany Haddish because, you know, Maya Rudolph was the only black woman on SNL forever, and... I feel like most of America didn't even know that she, she was, was black because they kept having her play random, like, white-seeming characters. And she was surrounded by just a sea of white people. And I don't know, seeing her on stage with Tiffany, I was like, that's Maya. And when's the last time we had two black people presenting, two people of color, honestly, presenting together at the Oscars? Like, that can't they, be they, that often. Yeah, they threw together a bunch last night. Like Kumal and Lupita presented. Right. But this felt like I was like, oh, wow, two of them. It was something like yeah. it, it felt <laughs> it felt different. But especially two women of color was right. shocking. Right. And that they were just so funny together. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany wore that dress again. Good for you, girl. Yeah. Next year, my dream is that Angela Bassett and Ellen Cleghorn perform and do a bit. Actually, they just do full vaudeville. I just want them to dance and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> also, Paul Thomas Anderson, Maya Rudolph's longtime partner. And he brought up at the Gotham Awards that he wanted to work with Tiffany Haddish. And I guess there are rumblings that it's going forward and maybe Maya might be involved. That long-ass ceremony will be worth it if we end up with a Maya Rudolph, Tiffany Haddish, like Thelma and Louise reboot. I will concede that. 
I'll take out Turner and Hooch any combination, <laughs> <laughs> any duo. Butch Cassidy and She Ready. <laughs> they also made a few changes to the ceremony this year. Number one that Kara noticed while we were watching was those big ass envelopes <laughs> with the huge lettering to make sure that nobody mixed anything up. Costume design in giant <laughs> letters. Look, if you're giving an envelope on the front, so it's like if something was happening, the entire audience could be like, "Wrong one." You could see on one. you could see on TV, right. like you're not reading the right one, girl. <laughs> exactly. You know, Faye Dunaway was like, "The fourth billboard better be this giant envelope." <laughs> I need to read it like an eye chart. And then they also had they kept showing the envelope for best picture that they had on like a little easel backstage on like its own altar, and I'm surprised they didn't just have like bulletproof glass behind it also but they're like don't worry guys we're not gonna fuck it up this year and they kept making jokes about it and they had Faye Dunway and Warren Beatty come back out and present again after their La La Land snafu and I get that some people thought it was cute but I think it was dumb it was rude honestly to Moonlight because I know that the Moonlight crew turned down the opportunity to present Best Picture, I believe. Well, no, they turned down the opportunity. I think it, Jimmy Kimmel said that they asked if Moonlight, if they wanted to come back and sort of like give their speech again. Mm-hmm. Like, we, well, you can have like, your, your moment. Again. Something like, you know, like come back and have a moment. I didn't read it as, as that they asked them to present Best mm. Picture. They're like, you can come back and sort of finally get a chance to say what you wanted to say, which is not the same thing. Mm. So I don't know that they got that offer. So I think that first offer is rude. Right. Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, they said what they had to say mm-hmm. at the end of last year's ceremony, and then the Academy has just proceeded to continue to make jokes about it and, you know, just sort of lean into, like, the fun and the camp of it. <laughs> and yeah. we keep ignoring the fact that the people involved in this great movie last year basically had their moment ruined forever. Right. I'm sorry, I was reading the Wikipedia entry and on the Oscars, and it's still, like, La La Land won until producer Jordan Horowitz stepped forward. And I'm like, can, can we you get rid know. of La La Land f- in the narrative? I feel like Jimmy Kimmel at one point also said it was hilarious. Or he said something like that. I was like, that's not funny. It's not funny to bring back these two people who screwed up the biggest moment, arguably, in some of these people's career. Also for a film that I think Lewis told me was the first film with an all-black cast mm-hmm. to win Best Picture. And it's like, it's not cool that you screwed that up and to not sort of recognize that you mo- you ruined a historic moment. Also, yeah. I understand there was camp value to that moment, but it really felt out of control. Like it was not comfortable to watch. So it's like to put that, to juxtapose that with the historic nature of that victory is unfortunate. Speaking of. Also, Faye Dunaway did not look like she wanted to be there. Can I say that? was like, I got to come out here again. And I didn't want to do it the first damn time, which is why I just snatched that envelope and like, let's go. <laughs> she was just like. But by the way, any footage of her we can get is priceless because she's such a particular old school type of celebrity who like gets a salad and is like the lettuce isn't soft enough (laughs) so mean 70 somethings I want it (laughs) speaking of mean 70 somethings Frances McDormand (laughs) not 70s all right how old is Frances McDormand Mm, that's a good question I'm thinking she's in the 61 range this is the first year that uh, Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress were both over the age of 50 since ni- the 1981-82 ceremony. So, oh, Frances McDormand is only 60. 
I said 61. I said in the community of that. They wouldn't fire me on the prices, right? Okay. She she looked great. Uh, she had maybe one of the best moments of the night. Totally. Uh, she won for Three Billboards, a movie Outside that My Tolerance. apparently exists. And she did actually have a very good performance in it. I will admit that I really enjoyed Francis in Three Billboards. I don't like Three Billboards, but I enjoyed her. And I enjoyed Sam Rockwell. I was happy for him, too, because I love Sam Rockwell. It is this weird feeling of, I don't want to say I'm rooting against these veteran actors. Like Alice and Janney, same thing. I don't love that movie. I'm happy she has an Oscar, but the world has put me in this position where I'm mad at them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Francis won Best Actress for Three Billboards, and she used her speech to talk about you know, inclusivity in the industry. And, you know, she asked all of the female nominees in every category to stand up so that they could be applauded and people could look around at them and she How could say- How few of them there were. Yes. <laughs> there was seven. <laughs> there was yeah. one woman who stood up and was like in a sea of people alone. Like you see her looking around. She like, was horrified. She lo- it was so, <laughs> I mean, it was still a great moment, but it was like, yeah. damn. If I may be so honored- to have all the female nominees in every category stand with me in this room tonight. The actors, Meryl, if you do it, everybody else will, come on. The filmmakers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the cinematographer, the, the composers, the songwriters, the, 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 the designers. <laughs> come on. Okay, look around, everybody. Look around, ladies and gentlemen, because we all have stories to tell and projects we need finance. Don't talk to us about it at the parties tonight. Invite us into your office in a couple days, or you can come to ours, whichever suits you best, and we'll tell you all about them. I think Emily Gordon tweeted, or she she had on her Instagram, the fact that when she stood up, she was over there, like, in the corner, like, away from other people, because she was a screenwriting nominee, and she was, like, had no idea if anyone else was actually going to stand up, and she was doing it, and, like, Francis was, I loved how Francis was like, Meryl, stand up, because everyone else would do it if you do. And Meryl's in, like, the Louis Fourteenth seat, where she's just in the middle, like, like, puts both arms down, shoots up, so then everybody has no choice but to follow that. Meryl at the Oscars is pretty much... Oprah at like the Globes or any other ceremony. Oh yeah, no. Like, the people Oscar, always yeah. feel a need to address her because she's mm-hmm. sitting there in the front, and I'm sure she's probably like, "Stop talking to me." Right. <laughs> no, the Oscars are Meryl's Legends Ball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she so that moment wasn't even surprising because I was rewatching Frances's Oscar win, her previous one for Fargo, and she used that speech to talk about the fact that. She loved that people were financing movies with women with very good roles like the one she had in Fargo. And it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking to see that she gave that speech at like nine, <laughs> fucking 21 90s. years ago. Yeah. And here she is saying the exact same thing, like give us roles, give yeah. us work. Um, and she brought up the word inclusion writer at the end and... Some people didn't know what that means. Um, some I mean, people, most people did not know what it no, means. Most yes. people didn't know what it means. I thought it was where Adam Rippon got his harness <laughs> that he wore no. on oh, the red God. carpet. You going to be on the match game after this, honey? <laughs> yeah. 
But the inclusion writer was a term created by Stacey L. Smith, who directs the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative at the University of Southern California. According to her, the inclusion writer is just a stipulation that actors and actresses can ask for or demand to have inserted into their contracts, which would require a certain level of diversity amongst the film's cast and crew. Basically, the idea is that 31.4% of speaking characters are female, even though they represent little more than half of the U.S. population. Women represented 4.2% of directors and just 1.4% of composers, and 29% of speaking characters were from non-white racial ethnic groups compared with nearly 40% in the U.S. So the idea is to take characters... Not even main characters. They're not saying, like, you need to replace all the men in your movie with women um, and non-white people. They're basically just saying the other characters that you see in movies, yeah. don't make them white. And also, you see a doctor. Yeah. You see the neighbor. You see, like, the person's kid's best friend who has to come over. Make them non-white. And I think it also speaks to the idea of challenging people who have the power. to. It's sort mm-hmm. of recently Jessica Chastain and Octavia Spencer were in a movie together. And Jessica Chastain basically demanded that they get the same salary. And Octavia Spencer, as a black woman, is would usually get paid less than this white actress. And so Jessica Chastain is in a position where she is a powerful movie star. And she can say to people, she can say to the powers that be, I'm not going to do this. I'm demanding this. I'm demanding equality. And I think really with someone like Frances McDermott saying that, that you're talking to the people who, one, have less to lose than others to speak up. And like you were in a position where it's like, are they really going to say, sorry, Jessica Chastain, you're fired from the movie now? They might. More likely than not, they're just going to give the black woman her damn money. And that's a victory. There was kind of a particularly rad moment there of Francis McDormand being like, to all the other Francis McDormands in this room, yes. which is like, you know, a significant number of the nominees who have that kind of power, like, we can wield it in exactly this way. That was like a very interesting, specific Oscar rallying moment, I thought. Mm-hmm. And it's helpful to point out that Francis said that it was something that she learned about only a week ago at lunch, you know, so it's not something where, you know, I remember when George Clooney was going off about, like, Oscar so white and being like, I've always been a champion of diversity, and then, like, you looking at his films and being like, there are never any black people in your movies. <laughs> George Clooney, Francis, you know, is someone who learned about this, and I truly believe that she wants to now help mm-hmm. her films, you know, have slightly more And the crew, and the crew, because that's the other thing. Like, when you look at all of the technical awards, and, like, I don't even want to know the stats on people of color and women getting nominated in the technical awards. I'm sure it's even more abysmal than all of, like, the acting write- awards and the writing awards and, like, female cinematographers. And women know how to do special effects, too, guys. Yeah, I mean, there's... um. A lot was writing on Greta Gerwig at the ceremony just because she was like the only woman nominated in these major categories, except for Rachel Morrison, who was, you know, the first woman nominated for cinematographer. 90 years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then you even had Jordan Peele being like the first black person to win for best best screenplay, which means you know a black woman hasn't won. The only only time I think a a black woman has been nominated in the screenplay category was co-writing Lady Sings the Blues, 
uh, the Billie Holiday biopic from the 70s with Diana Ross. We've heard of You it. know what's crazy? <laughs> now, right. Let me tell you about <laughs> Billie Holiday, honey. <laughs> I also think it's crazy when the Oscars, I don't know if they did that this year, but before they'd be like, Halle Berry is the first black woman. It's like, why are you saying that? That's embarrassing. Like, you're like, hey, isn't it cool? Jordan Peele's the first. No, it's not cool. It's embarrassing. It's terrible. Right. You shouldn't be highlighting that like it's a like a fun fact. <laughs> I mean, they, this is the Academy that still loves to show that clip of Adrian Brody assaulting Halle Berry <laughs> yeah. on the stage. So I don't really think they've gotten the memo yet. I was going to say the <laughs> amount of times I've seen it in a montage, they call me Mr. Tibbs because we still only have like four iconic black quotes. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty zany. King Kong ain't got nothing to, on right, me. <laughs> I had to remember Denzel in um, what's the Trinity? No, 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 no. What's oh. the when he won supporting actor? Oh, Glory and Glory. Because I was like, what's he doing in that tent? <laughs> and I couldn't remember the movie. I was like, oh yeah, Glory. I forgot about that. Uh, I want to say also that the Francis shall we say stunt, our favorite word on this show, was so refreshing after a number of strange things throughout the ceremony. First of all, being Kobe Bryant winning for that Dear Basketball short. Have you seen Dear Basketball? Because, dear God. First of all, it is among the worst things I've ever seen win an Oscar. It is just pencil drawings of him shooting baskets and being like, you know what? I love basketball. (laughs) Then, then of course, there were charges against him that were weird. And then Gary Oldman winning. And who having to present it to him? Jane Fonda, who's the queen of hating people like Gary Oldman. So that was also hard for me to watch. Also very rude that they did not cut to... Leslie Manville's reaction during oh, Gary Oldman's speech because I wanted to see her withering glare. Wouldn't it be amazing, just to be clear, Leslie Manville and Gary Oldman used to be married, if Gary Oldman won and just Leslie Manville rose and gave a monologue to the camera about why this was so stupid. <laughs> she should have Kanye'd him. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, can you imagine? Let's write that spec. Has anyone I'm... ever been Kanye'd at the Oscars before? Are they too dignified for that? There's not Henny being passed around in the audience. Well, we like... had the streaker, uh, okay. you know. Uh, no. That was very momentary. Nobody jumped yeah. to the podium, I don't think. No, yeah. the the only dramatic things are people being like either not wanting their Oscar. like um, George C. Scott and Marlon Brando, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, or people just being shady when someone wins mm-hmm. and like not clapping for them. You know what's a good shady moment? Lee Grant, who won in the mid-70s, she was blacklisted for years, and she won for Sporting Actress for Shampoo. She goes up there, and she's got, like, the hardest bangs of all time. And she goes, holding the Oscar, she goes, Oscar and I had a fight about 20 years ago. He's changed. I know I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) The first Housewives tagline, 1975. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I remember when Eli Kazan Oh, yeah. And... People did. Some people didn't clap for him because he named people to the blacklist. So there's always moments like that where you know people. You have to look for reactions in the audience. Yeah, no one's right. ever like when gonna, Roman Polanski won. Yeah, yeah exactly. No mm-hmm. one's ever gonna do like a snatch that Oscar. More Hennessy at the Oscars, I think, would solve a lot of my Oscar criticism. I have to say, by the way, you know how Jennifer Lawrence, I guess, was like drinking wine throughout the ceremony? How is she the first person to innovate smuggling wine into the room? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's been like 90 years and finally people are drinking. Like, yes, more of that. I mean, I feel like Elizabeth Taylor was drinking at the Oscars. Let's be real. I do think there are some actors who like to drink, and I do think she was one of them. Yeah. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It took a second. (laughs) So we got a Time's Up montage, too, which, you know, in contrast with the Kobe Bryant and the Gary Oldman and the Ryan Seacrest of it all, 
felt sort of like the Academy trying to have its cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see, you know, like Mira Sorvino and other people there, but it did sort of feel like it was just tacked into the ceremony mm-hmm. and then we can move on. I yeah. Mean, they had to. They yeah. knew that there's no possible way they couldn't have done something. And yeah. so, you know, it was like, well, you know, we got to do this. So yeah. I will say, seeing Mira Sorvino and Annabelle, Annabella Ciora and uh, Ashley Judd, it was just cool to see them there looking like movie stars, which they should still be, you know? So even if that was illusory, it felt in some way compensating for the horrors done to them. I did object to the fish fucking movie being in that Time's Up montage. Oh, that was weird. It was talking about the diversity and everything that's happened in Hollywood, and then there's Sally Hawkins, like, <laughs> humping a fish. Signing I love gills to her husband. <laughs> or to her gay brother. I forget what their relationship is in the movie. It had a gay person and a black person in it, which means that it was diversity. That's right. Never mind that Octavia Spencer was playing the same character from The Help. I think it was a crossover. I would actually <laughs> say it was even more the same character from Hidden Figures. Like the same sort oh, of sauciness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I forgot. Maybe there's a new movie where we find out that Octavia Spencer is just a time traveler. She, <laughs> she plays a character who is all those people. That's right. Oh, God, I love her though. But speaking of The Shape of Water, a lot of people called it a quote-unquote safe win, and I'm not exactly sure what that truly means. You know, I didn't think that the film was my favorite of the year, certainly, but it wasn't safe in terms of picking, you know, the darkest hour. Yeah. Also, I mean, that movie really has a kind of like magic realism quality, you know, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, something like that. And by the way, I mean, we make jokes about the fish fucking. For the rest of my life, I'll make jokes about the fish fucking. It does make it a very unusual best picture win, I do think. You know, I mean, it's like it's like kind of a cinematic fairy tale in certain ways, so maybe that feels safe. Yeah. But just the turns in the movie are at first surprising and weird and even a little uncomfortable before it resumes its whimsicality. I would just say that the problem with that movie is in the last quarter, then it becomes predictable. Then I'm, I, literally I'm sitting there watching the movie thinking, I know this is going to turn into some water ballet where we don't know if they live or die or go on romantically forever. Um, and that's of course what happened because I'm real smart. I well, mean, we've seen Splash. We've, <laughs> yes. seen, we've seen Splash. Right, yes. I think less <laughs> about the actual content of the film. It seems safe in that you know, the director was a Mexican man who was sort of overdue, so he's not, you know, another sort of blonde white dude winning an Oscar. The movie starred a woman. Like, it was all, th- but it's like, well, yeah, but kind of, and like, I guess we're giving it to another man. Like, it felt like Justin, you know, Octavius, you had a black person in the movie who got to talk a little bit. Yeah, queer so, character. So yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. like a crazy, just like, it's, you know, the big short or something where it's just like, here's 45 men talking <laughs> for three hours. Um, well, you know, yeah, it's definitely in the sense that the Oscars loves to, one, reward men for lifetime achievements more so than they do women. Yeah. Uh, the best actor category is literally men winning for roles that they should have won years ago because the Oscars seems to have some sort of vendetta against young men being talented. Oh, yeah. But they routinely give it to young actresses like Jennifer Lawrence when, you know, they should be giving it to an older actress in that category who actually turned out a better performance. Right. Best actor is very like Al Pacino scent of a woman. It's very I, Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. and Lincoln, things like that. I feel like they're also waiting to give Denzel another Oscar. They're like, let us just give you one more. Of and course. Like, oh, fine. And then like these are the movies he's picking and they're like, I guess we got to nominate him for this. 
Right, you know, and then for director, it often feels that same way, you know. If it's safe, it's safe in the way that we love to celebrate men for telling these kinds of stories and not celebrating when women tell these kinds of stories. And it's safe in contrast to Get Out more than anything. Because that was like, Mm -hmm. I actually for like two seconds, I allowed myself to think that Get Out might win Best Picture after Jordan won. And I think really like The Shape of Water is safe if you consider Get Out the other option. Well, it also just tells you that, you know, La La Land came this close to winning last year. Shape of Water won this year. If you want to win a Best Picture Oscar or at least get nominated, you need to do a film that is an ode to classic Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, like, it I can't actually... be set in classic Hollywood yes. because um, Hail Caesar tried that. Yep. And <laughs> didn't work out. I actually think it's a little bit of a misnomer when people claim that Hollywood is super obsessed with this stuff. The first ever Best Picture set in Los Angeles is Crash, which is like 10 years ago. But I will say about um, The Shape of Water also, it is exceedingly rare that a Best Picture is just about a woman. I mean, the last one was Million Dollar Baby, you know, and then Chicago. And then I think before that, like Terms of Endearment. I guess you could argue Shakespeare in Love, too. But it's just super rare. And the fact is... I think we're living in this age where we're fooling ourselves into believing we're really like, you know, exalting these stories. The fact is a lot of people actively hate women's stories. So I think putting it out there and getting a best picture win for a movie starring a woman is still a triumph in a major way. And you probably know that specific statistic better than me. You know, the idea of um, the correlation between best actress winners or nominations with what's been nominated for Best Picture. It's like shocking. Yes. Only recently, I mean, that's something that the six to 10 Best Picture nominees has helped a little bit. Then you get movies like Philomena and An Education in the Best Picture uh, racket. But before that, no, like go right down the list. Like things nominated for Best Actress are rarely nominated for Picture and they are almost always nominated for things like makeup. We like yeah. marginalize them but in those every, categories. But everyone who's usually nominated for Best Actor, the film that they're in, is usually nominated for Best Picture. All right, because we relate to them. Yeah, That's relate, our story We relate there. to men. When we're back, Lewis versus a computer. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black stories, black truths. 
is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. And we're back with Lewis versus a computer and Kara. <laughs> Kara's running the computer, so that's a very important part she of us. She is the computer that wore tennis shoes. <laughs> I love your hip current references, my God. Coming from you. I know, please, no. We're, we're simpatico. Did here. you just do a monologue about shampoo? Yeah. <laughs> it touched everybody in the room. I made it universal. I do like that movie, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I am going to ask Kara and a computer. And Lewis, 10 questions, and we'll see who gets the most right out of 10. First, or just accuracy? Yeah, you can just shout out the answer first. Okay. 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 First, first question, this is a category I call Name the Winner. Okay. I'm going to name nominees for things, and you have to tell me who won. Oh, all right. Here's Best Picture nominees. Dark Victory. Nope, 1939, it's Gone with the Wind. Lewis got it. How about that, girl? Yeah. Oh, my Betty, God, guys, Betty I Davis, didn't even get to type it. Betty Davis's third nomination, her first loss. <laughs> Gone with the Wind, Beat, Dark Victory, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Love Affair, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Nanachka? Nanachka. Garbo? Yeah. This is not very SEO friendly, by the way. <laughs> Stagecoach, <laughs> Wizard of Oz, and Wuthering Heights. Well, that went well. Okay, yeah. okay, right. okay. Uh, I actually, by the way, I don't feel bad because it's Google, not me. That's true. Using, it's, it's true. For the record. We'll try another one of those. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. 2000, uh, Gladiator? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gladiator beat Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Traffic. and Chocolat. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you something? I've that never seen Chocolat. Never that seen movie it. got nominated for a Best Picture. <laughs> yes, it did. Chocolat. <laughs> was that the one with Johnny Depp and was he? he yeah, was the original. That. The original Casey Affleck. 
the Oscars used to love him. I mean, that movie. The, and, I think the Oscars used to love him until he made The Tourist <laughs> and oh 17 Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The Chocolate was only the third Best Supporting Actor Black nominee ever. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> best Original Screenplay. Oof, okay. 1962. Um, I'm, Lawrence of Arabia. Splendor in the Grass. No, oh, that's technically 61. So, I mean, you're looking at the 62 ceremony. I'm going to go. What? Is it not Lawrence of Arabia? No, no. it says winner 1962, Splendor that's, and the Grass. Right, that's it, 461. It's like the, the, the ceremonies in that year. This is a trivia thing that people fight about all the time. William Minge wrote that. Yeah, 61, Splendor and the Grass. Uh, 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 hold on. Uh, it's not, well, I'm going to go. The Apartment. That's the year before. What? Go one forward. Sp- Sweet Bird of Youth. No. Oh. One more second. Uh, Divorce Italian style. Oh, yes. that's really hard. Wow. What the yeah. hell? <laughs> yeah. All right, two to one. I accept the feat. <laughs> have you seen Divorce Italian style, Lewis? No, have you seen it? I've seen it. Oh. It's plucky. I bet. <laughs> Wait, is that uh, not Gina Lilla Brigida? Who's in that? Daniela Roca. Oh, very good. Very good. No. I love an Italian movie. Oh, my God. All right. Best supporting actor. Okay. Give me a year. 1973. John Houseman, Paper Chase. I'm positive. John, Joel Gray. No, that's Devin God too. damn it, I don't understand that's this. The previous year. I don't understand this. <laughs> Cabaret. Why is Google, hold up, Google, if you're listening. 74, Why Robert the Niro. hell are you putting these? What is, what is this? It's a bone of contention with trivia people. Like if you're talking about the 1973 Oscars, do you mean honoring the films of 73 or the actual the year the ceremony took place? I would argue you're always, you always want to say it's for the year the movies are. So No, it should be the year that the so Oscars are. When he are, says 73 Oscars. Like the Oscar, year it got the award. This, it's an SEO problem. That's the, that's the issue. Google. I can actually name all the best are, supporting actors from that decade if you want me to. I'm sure 74, Google... Robert De Niro, 75, George, uh, George Burns, 76, you know Jason Robards, 77, Gemini, J- Jason Robards. <laughs> I think this game is over, and I think that this taught us a very important lesson about Google, SEO, and... Gay people who are on the spectrum, maybe. <laughs> I'm not playing games with you again, <laughs> I win. (laughs) When we're back. Lewis wins. (laughs) When we're back, keep it. Keep It is brought to you by IFC Films' The Death of Stalin, a comedy of terrors from the creator of Veep and In the Loop. Steve Buscemi and Monty Python's Michael Palin lead an award-winning ensemble in this hilarious political satire which reinterprets the true events of Soviet succession in Moscow, 1953, when tyrannical director Joseph Stalin drops dead and his parasitic cronies square off in a frantic power struggle to be the next Soviet leader. I don't know anything about history, so I'm not going to make any jokes about Joseph Stalin. I don't want to offend anybody and lose this podcast. The one-liners fly fast as the political fortunes fall in Death of Stalin, though, and critics are already calling it a masterpiece, one of the most hilarious films of the 21st century and the political satire we need right now. Rolling Stone calls it brilliant and reminds you that any resemblance to modern world affairs is not a coincidence. The Death of Stalin, in theaters March 9th. And now the part of the show that everybody tunes in for, it's Keep It. What are we saying no thank you to this week, Kara? 
This week I'm saying no thank you to not Peter from The Bachelor. I believe his name is Ari, but from now on we're just calling him not Peter, who should have been The Bachelor. And the finale was this week, and he picked a brunette, and then he dumped her like a day late. I mean, not a day later in real time, but the way we watched it. So he basically brought cameras into like a meetup with her and was like, yo, I think I like that other girl more. Never mind, even though you're my fiance and I proposed to you on TV like a minute ago. And also she's like sobbing, understandably. And she's like, just go, just go. And he's just sitting there. And I'm like, I can't even fathom someone doing that to me because they know that they would die. <laughs> so, so it's hard for me to even put myself in that situation. But I just like, one, I feel like, I don't know how much the producers know. I never know with that stuff. But it felt like even for The Bachelor, kind of a new low. Like you're setting this woman up to just be completely humiliated. And usually they humiliate themselves on their own. You don't need to help them. So I don't watch the white seasons of The Bachelor. I don't either. But um, this seems exactly like what I would expect from the show given Unreal. Right. Like it seems like something Rachel would have orchestrated for the end. Right. The, you have to pick someone else for this big dramatic moment. After you've already picked her. Yeah. Like you've already picked her. And I think it was something like, you know, when when they get engaged or whatever, they don't get to see each other for a few months while the show is airing because they don't want people to know who won. But they'll do like s- sort of secret coordinated meetups where everyone makes sure that they can spend time together and no one sees. And it's like, you did it during one of those, dude? And like asked for camera. I assume cameras aren't usually there. The producers had to know he was about he to He was about to her. do that. Girl, I think you should sue all of them. You probably sign a contract, give it a whirl, get me on the jury. You're getting all the money. I bet in her contract it's like, your engagement will be ruined. You know? <laughs> Listen, if Idris Elba could get Molly out of that game, I'm sure he could help <laughs> whoever this plucky brunette is. <laughs> Lewis, what are you keeping this week? Um, It sounds like I'm about to tell RuPaul to keep it, but his apology was so sufficient that it won't be a keep it to him. I'll get to who it's for. Uh, what happened this week was uh, RuPaul in an interview with The Guardian was talking about trans women and drag, and basically he was talking about how the lines are blurred when somebody is trans and like basically treating them like Olympic athletes who are doping or like, you know, giving themselves some sort of advantage um, by transitioning. He even tweeted something shady like um, you can dope and still be an athlete, just not in the Olympics. Like he was spilling some sort of tea. Right. It's like you're literally saying trans people are Flojo? Like what? <laughs> I, I have no guess as to what that's about. But, Flojo um, did not dope, by the way. The, Do not sully Flojo's name. Some on people this would argue podcast. the sport has been ruined ever since 1988. Moving on. <laughs> um, but what? drove me crazy was so there were two sides on Twitter like people were really mad at RuPaul some people defended RuPaul but what bothered me was Bob the drag queen who's a former winner of the show he's great he's hilarious he said something like sometimes I think our community is just tearing itself apart something along those lines I just want to say I think this is one of the ways in which the gay community is very productive we I mean like maybe we're uh, a little tougher than we need to be a little bit more insulting than we need to be sometimes but to me this was like one of those good infighting situations that unifies our message makes us realize like this is an insulting thing to say about trans people uh rupaul eventually came around too after trying to double down on his original statement and i just don't think this is a a read in our community that both sides had points and were mad about it right there was this notion too from some people on twitter the fact that we shouldn't be calling rupaul out 
you know, because he's done so much for the community. But it's also this community that he's talking about doesn't have the platform and the celebrity that he has. So how else are they supposed to reach him besides tweeting at him? Totally. Also, I mean, I'm not new to the idea that celebrities I love mess up sometimes. I think a perfect example would be Joan Rivers, who, you know, legendary comic. I would say I personally owe a lot to that style of like making fun of men to their face, just like she's revolutionary, whatever. She also, if you remember her e-show, basically believed writers should be her slaves. And she didn't correct it or figure out a deal for them. So that's a part of her legacy forever, unfortunately. RuPaul, meanwhile, has apologized. So that, as far as I'm concerned, is now wiped from his record for the most part. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's reasonable for people to call him out. You know, the joke on, like, Tyra Male from America's Next Top Model in his show used to be called She Male. And he changed that, even though he put up a fuss about it. And he put up a fuss about, you know, using the word tranny on his show, too, even though, you know, transgender people told him that that was a slur. Right. uh, And he should not use it, even though it was fun that he was throwing it around, you know, like, in the 80s and 90s, like, it's 2018 now. Right. Um, that's also, it's just, that's part of being a trailblazer is, you know, in certain ways, is people are going to expect you to keep that up, and they're going to be critical when you don't. I so. thought it was a very productive conversation for the LGBTQ community to have. I'm going to wrap it up with my Keep It, which is Oscars-related in the sense that, for some reason, ABC decided to ruin my evening by airing an Alec Baldwin talk show. Ooh! <laughs> After the Oscars, <laughs> I think we all caught the first few minutes of that show and went, what are you doing? Also, I mean, my main thing with that, which I wasn't even really listening, the chairs, they have them facing each other. Have you ever seen a talk show in the history of talk shows set up like that? Like the whole point is you, so all of the shots are over the shoulder. You can never see both of them at the same time. It's like there's a reason they pivot the chairs so that you're sort of next to each other. And it was crazy. It's it's very old TV. It reminds me of like Tom Snyder in yeah, the eighties. He or thinks something. he's doing Frost Nixon, but <laughs> Alec Baldwin is asking Jerry Seinfeld about the sneakers he wore when he first appeared on The Late Show. Also, here's the thing: I think Alec Baldwin is a pretty good interviewer. That said, nothing about me is ever saying I need Alec Baldwin to talk more and be on <laughs> TV. <laughs> I just because that's gone awry a half dozen times. Also, and why he, does he want to do this? He's also spent the past few weeks like defending Woody Allen, defending Gary Oldman, attacking women on Twitter, and basically being a trash box. So I really don't want to see him, you know, talking to celebrities right now because I don't want to hear him chiming in on these important conversations that people need to be having right now. And also just to debut that first episode where he's talking to Jerry Seinfeld and Kate McKinnon after the Oscars, it just felt so unnecessary to pop culture or the cultural conversation right now that it was like, when did you film this? Let's Ten be years honest, ago? you probably won't be watching it for long. There's no way that's, I mean, please. I think that's There's no way true. this show is lasting Listen, beyond this. M- Megan Kelly is still walking tight ropes with Woo! bears on <laughs> NBC right now. So anything's possible. Frantically serving a brunch and saying, aren't we having fun? <laughs> I, I think Burn Notice is still on TV. I don't know. <laughs> Alec Baldwin might last a few years. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Karen Lewis, thank you so much for being here and talking about the Oscars with me. I'd like to thank myself too. And I, the would like to, I would like to thank Lewis. Thank and you, Kara. Aw. She's been very helpful. Separate entities. We rarely yes, get very along. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it. Turner and Hooch, any combination. <laughs> <laughs> any duo. <laughs> Butch Cassidy and She Ready. <laughs> The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.